morning. Welcome. Welcome to all you joining us online also. It's great to have you joining us that way. Um, today we're going to address one more question in our series, Growing Up Faith, and it's the question, are heaven and hell real? And we're going to look at this question as it unfolds naturally in what I'm about to share with you uh, this morning on the last four major events in our big picture. We'll get to this all in, in a moment. But before I begin to share with you a whole bunch of information on heaven and hell and, and kind of get you going on that side of the equation, I want you to engage emotionally. I want to uh, touch your heart uh, for a moment with the tension of, of heaven and, and hell. Uh, I'm going to do so by using uh, a movie uh, illustration that Kevin Myers actually used in his book, Growing Up Faith. And by using this movie illustration, I'm once again going to qualify this. This does not mean I like this movie. This does not mean that this movie is a good movie. Okay? It just means it's an illustration for a sermon. Amen? So if you like the movie, whatever. I don't know. But it's the movie uh, City Slickers. And it's about these three close friends who take a trip from New York out west to do a cattle drive to kind of get in touch with themselves once again. Each one of them are facing different issues in their life. Uh, uh, Mitch has a midlife crisis going on. Phil is trapped in a loveless marriage. And Ed is this kind of playboy who's found a woman. He settled down with her, but it's having a, a trouble kind of being a one-woman man thing going on. And they're playing this game as they ride along on the horses called best day, worst day ever that you had in your life. And so they're asking each other, what's the best day you ever had? What's the worst day that you ever had in your life? And Mitch describes his best day this way. I remember going to my first Yankees game with my dad. We were going in this long, dark tunnel underneath the stand. I'm holding his hand, and we come out of the tunnel into the light. It was huge. How green the grass was, how brown the dirt was. And that great green copper roof just caught my eyes. See, we had a black and white TV, and I'd only watched games up to this point on that TV, and I thought they were in black and white, and this color was just overwhelming, and I sat there next to my dad. He taught me how to keep score, and Mickey hit a home run. I, I, I still had the program for, from that day. Uh, it was the best day ever. His worst day ever, he said, was when my wife discovered a lump in her breast. Even though it turned out to be nothing, he said, it was my worst day ever. It just, it just shook my soul. And then Phil describes his best day as his wedding day. He said to his friends, remember that day? You were all there. It was an outdoor wedding. Arlene looked great. You guys are smiling at me. And my dad actually winked at me. I mean, he's not the warmest guy, but he actually winked at me. And I remember thinking... I'm getting married. I was the first one getting married. And I have a real job. And I'm thinking, I'm grown up finally. I'm not a goofball anymore. <laughs> I've made it. I felt like a man. Best day of my life. And then he goes on to say, my worst day of my life is every day since. <laughs> uh, that's exactly right. <laughs> you, go, you, you hear they go, oh, man, that's, just, that's so sad, isn't it? So sad. And then they get to Ed. He doesn't want to play the game. But they goad him on and they goad him on. And he finally says, okay. Here's my best day. I'm 14 years old, and my mother and my father are fighting again because she caught him again. Caught him. This time, the girl drove right by the house to pick him up. I finally realized he wasn't just cheating on my mother. He was cheating on our family. So I told him, I said, you're bad for us. We don't love you. I'll take care of my mother, and I'll take care of my sister. We just don't need you anymore. He made like he was going to hit me, but I didn't budge. So he turned around and left, never to come back into our lives 
best day ever. And I took care of my mother and sister from then on. Phil's horrified. He said, that's your best day ever? That's, that's, wouldn't you be horrified? That's a horrific story. And they say, well, then what's your worst day? He said, same day. Same day is worst day. It's a rare thing in our lives when we have the experience of having the best day and the worst day coincide, and especially coincide over one event. But that's what lies ahead for humanity. The story really leads into the tension of what we're going to talk about today, our heaven and hell real and, and all that. Well, there's a day coming that's going to be, and this is our opening reflection question, there's a day coming that will be the best and worst day ever, depending on what you've done with Jesus Christ. For some who've received Jesus Christ and they're heaven bound, it'll be the best day, right? Amen? For some who've rejected Jesus Christ, it'll be the worst day ever because they're going to be hell bound. And I have this feeling, I can't say this is going to be true or not true. It's just a thought, my, my own thought. I wonder, even in the ecstasy and the, the joy of that moment for me, I wonder sometimes if there's going to be a tinge of sadness there because of the ones I love so much. Who have rejected Jesus Christ and who won't be there with me? You know, you wonder, is that going to affect you like it affects you now? Or will the joy of the Lord be so overwhelming and so fulfilling that those thoughts won't be there? I don't know, but I, I just imagine they might be there just a little bit because after all, we are human, amen? So we're going to... For one last time in this series called Grown Up Faith, look at the big picture. I hope I have your heart a little bit because eventually throughout this message, we're going to answer and address this question, are heaven and hell real? But it's going to happen kind of in the flow of looking at how the world wraps up and how the end comes to be, okay? And in the, in the wrapping up, we're going to kind of address this question, are heaven and hell real? And so we're going to look at our, our big picture one last time here and um, basically... Uh, we're going to look at those four events that are highlighted on the right side as the course of the day unfolds. But again, I want to emphasize the old mirrors the new, the new mirrors the old. And one thing we, we have going for us is on, on the left side there, um, we know those events have all taken place. They're history. So we can say with pretty great assurance, at least from a Bible revelation point to us, amen, that Okay, those have all taken place, and, and now uh, we've left the New Covenant side uh, of, the, of the New Testament side, and we're moving down to these, these last four events which reflect the Old Testament. The, the, the challenge is none of this has happened yet. Amen? There has not yet been the one world government. The world has not been judged and destroyed, and Satan and sin haven't exited. They're all prophesied about. Amen? And so it becomes a faith issue for us to believe some of these things, amen? Like we, 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 we lit the prophecy candle today. And what this says is, we see, God, that you're a promise-keeping God, that what you say will happen happens. Like you foretold that Jesus Christ would come, he fulfilled all those promises and he came, right? And so this then becomes the approach we have to have to what I'm going to talk about today. That we serve a God who does as he promises he will do. And he promises that someday this earth will come to an end and all these events will unfold. And so we're going to look at these today and here's our big thought. One thing I can say for sure here is this. Jesus has made it very clear that an end to this earth 
is indeed coming. Amen? He has made that very clear. And in the flow, looking at these events leading up to the end of the age, we will address this question, are heaven and hell real in this message? But this is revealed truth from the Bible. And like so much of the Bible, it becomes a faith matter for us to believe it. You just aren't going to have a concreteness to it yet because it hasn't happened yet. Amen? And so it's a faith issue. But the Bible clearly makes it known that heaven and hell are places where every person is going to end up depending on what they've done with Jesus Christ. Those who have received Jesus will end up in heaven. Those who have rejected Jesus will end up in hell. So I want to just kind of warm us up, get the blood flowing a little bit this morning. I want to talk to you for a few moments uh, using Matthew 24 as kind of an outline. Jesus uh, taught in Matthew 24 uh, the history leading up to the end of the age. Um, It's called the Olivet Discourse frequently. Um, and, And so here's what's going on. Jesus' disciples are walking along and they walk by the temple and the disciples are admiring the temple and the massiveness of it and the supposedly, you know, enduring nature of it. And Jesus said, not one stone on another would be left of this temple. And that grabbed their attention. And they said, what? And so they said, well, when will this happen? And then they jump into this when, we're, when, you're, when you're, will you will be a sign of your coming and what will be the end of the age like? They just took it even farther. Like, okay, this is going to be gone. That means the world must be coming to the end. Uh, what's the sign of your coming again? And, and what will the end look like? And Jesus launches into this wonderful teaching called the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. It gives us an overview of the history leading up to his uh, return. And I'm going to highlight that for you, okay? Just real quickly. The gospel we preach to the whole world, it says, to all, all peoples. Now, what does that mean precisely? We don't know. But I know this. Lots of missionary agencies are diligently working on fulfilling that prophecy right now. And they're getting close. And then Jesus says, there will be an abomination that causes desolation standing in the holy place. Basically, this is the Antichrist. He will stand up. He will declare, worship me. I'm God. He's anti-God in everything he does. And those who don't have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life will gladly give their allegiance to him. So there'd be this major world leader probably of some sort. I don't know. There's just a lot of debate on this kind of stuff, okay? But something will happen that will kind of uh, grab most of the world's attention and allegiance, okay? Um, then we're told there's going to be a great tribulation that is worse than anything that the world's experienced to that point. So we think this coronavirus thing is nasty, huh? This is nasty, If those days weren't cut short, nobody would survive, Jesus says. So there's there's going to be this massive tribulation. Uh, Revelation, by the way, talks a lot about this in specific and what it's going to be like. And then Jesus said, there's some definite signs that will take place. The sun and the moon will be darkened before he returns. That's pretty obvious, right? And then there will be the sign of the Son of Man that will appear in the sky. That's a sign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will return with great power and authority and that takes us to the end of the age. And that's all of a discourse. So now we're warmed up a little bit. What I'm going to do for the rest of, of the message is this. I want to talk through those four events leading to righteous mankind 
in paradise again with God. And it's kind of the culmination of the last 11 weeks of this grown-up faith, okay? And we're going to go super fast. I'm not going to get real detailed. You know why? Because I don't know the details. And you don't, you know, it's just so much argumentation takes place on some of these details. So we're just not going to talk on those because we'll know when it happens, right? Amen? We'll know when it happens. So events leading to the end. First of all, there's going to be a one-world government. We know that. Just as the world came together to build the Tower of, 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 of Babel, it will once again come together to form a one-world government under the beast. In Revelation chapter 13, John tells us, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the world will be astonished by and follow the beast. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, we, we, we read about this dragon, that's Satan, that, that's on the scene, and this beast is part of... The, the manufacturing of Satan, the dragon. And most likely this is the Antichrist and he's going to look like some kind of leader to the world and most of the world whose name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will give their allegiance to this leader, to this person, to this Antichrist, okay? Um, and I, I'm going to say this. This all sorts itself out when it happens. Amen? But... It will happen. Something like this will happen. Now, what I want to talk about is the feasibility of a one-world government with you for a couple of moments, because I want to go here real fast with you. Listen to this. A one-world government doesn't seem far-fetched anymore. Amen? Would you say amen to that? Amen. It doesn't. Listen. Listen. It used to be that communication around the globe would take months to, to happen. It, it, you know, just, this was just you know, a few decades ago. And now, communication is what? Instantaneous. Now we have an economy that's globalized, whether we want to admit it or not. The economy of the world is globalized. It all kind of ties together. And not only that, currency is digital. They're called credit cards. Everything's digital now. And all these things, to me, say, look, a one-world government's not far-fetched. It's just the right leader gets established, the right circumstances happen, boom, we're there. It's going to happen real fast. Let's move on to another reason why um, we can see that there's going to be like a one-world government happening and what, what will be some of the outcomes of it. In Revelation chapter 13, we're told that all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, will be forced to receive the mark of the beast. Um, and that number is 666, which always gets people a little nervous whenever you use the word or number 666, especially if they're Christian. Don't write that number down. Okay, yeah. It's the mark of the beast, you know. It's the sign of the beast. Um, so buying and selling will only be allowed for those who have this mark of the beast. Now, is this possible? Yeah, yeah. In, in the Grown-Up Faith book, Myers gives an example of, of some of this uh, biometric identification happening right now. He says in the nation of India, they have a biometric um, identification project that's been underway for a while um, where what, what happens is they, they put these, this bio, biomedical marker into people and uh, th- that becomes their identification uh, 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 system, you know, and you can't, in that country, it's almost becoming impossible to live in it without having this mark because you can't get any government services unless you have this mark. So it's kind of happening. Some of this, right? You can kind of see the prototypes. You can kind of see the setup. So you can kind of see 
I'm, I'm, I'm using these words softly because, again, this is future stuff, and who knows how it's really going to unfold. But boy, you can see the possibilities of it happening. And in, 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 in India, it's kind of a prototype. Um, let's go uh, to something, though, that always brings delight to my heart. After the one world government happens, then Jesus returns. Amen? Hallelujah? Hallelujah? That's good news, right? Amen, right? Some of you are going, I don't even know what to think of you right now, much less say hallelujah. But hallelujah, you know, Jesus comes in. First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, it reveals to us after this one world of government thing happens that Jesus will return. Um, and so that's the next point after the one world government, Jesus will return. And, and so, so this kind of gets through our one world government discussion, all right, event. Now we're going to move on uh, to where we really begin to address the question of are heaven and hell real? Um, the world will be judged and destroyed, we're told. The world will be judged and destroyed. As in the days of Noah, by the way, when you hear that phrase, as in the days of Noah, that has so much meaning. As in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking. They didn't have any idea until the deluge came, did they? Most of the world was oblivious to what was about to take place. As in the days of Noah, you could say most of the world was oblivious, not clued in, had no idea, as in the days of Noah, that God will judge the world. This judgment will be fire, not water. Listen to, to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 10. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. We know that. That's happening. That's been going on for a long time. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise. And the, the fulfilling promise means to return. He's not slow um, to fulfill his promise, as some call slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It'll come suddenly, unexpected. Most people won't know it's going to happen. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Again, we see how the new parallels the Old Testaments here. In the Old Testament, God judged the world by what? Water. In the New Testament, same thing. There's going to be a judgment only by fire. And fire is representative of purification and refining. And God is a holy God. And so at the end of the age, he's going to make the world holy again and, and pure again and by the means of the judgment of fire. Okay? And there's going to be a judgment, but the judgment for believers, friends, is very different than the judgment for those who have rejected Jesus Christ. Okay? There, there are two different kinds of judgments going on here, and you've got to understand that or you're going to get confused by these judgment things that's, that's happening here. So let's talk about the judgment of believers first. It's, it's revealed to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but those who have received Jesus are heaven-bound and will stand before what is called the bema, that's the Greek word, bema, judgment seat, Greek was the original language of the New Testament, okay? The Bema judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due. This is a judgment of rewards, of reward. 
See, the believer and unbeliever don't go through the same judgment. We stand under Jesus Christ, what? Atoned for, redeemed. We don't go through a judgment. Why? Because the blood of Jesus covers us. Amen? When you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you are filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, you no longer come under the judgment of God in the terms of heaven and hell. Because why? You're now heaven-bound. Right? Amen? Right? So the judgment here for believers is one of what have you done in service to the Lord Jesus Christ? What's worthy? What's unworthy? The things that are unworthy will be burned up and cast aside. The things that are well done will be uh, told, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? There's a judgment of rewards. But we're not subject to the judgment of heaven or hell at that point because we're under the blood of Christ. There will be a great white throne judgment. But before I get to that, let me read to you why I say this. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. I, I listed for you verses 1 through 10. You can read the whole thing. I'm just going to jump down to verse 10. Listen to this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, for we, we must all appear, that's all believers, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what, uh, receive what is do for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And we know we don't get to heaven by doing good or evil. How do we get to heaven? By Jesus Christ. So this is talking about how have you done as a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you done the will of the Father? Have you been obedient? Have you been a faithful servant? Right? This is a judgment of rewards. Now there's another judgment, though, for those who have rejected Christ. And that's what I want to talk about next. There will be a great white throne judgment and those who have rejected Jesus will be sent to hell. This is where it gets uncomfortable. You don't hear a lot of heaven and hell preaching in church anymore. It's not popular. People like to just pretend it doesn't exist or something. But we need to know this and we need to feel the tension of it because it should create in us an urgency, an intercessory heart, especially for our loved ones and our friends that don't know Jesus Christ. It should create in us a, a sense of, I got to go and I got to help. I got I to gotta pray for these people. I got I to gotta intercede for them and I got to do everything I can to help them make a decision to go to heaven. Amen? But at any rate, in Revelation chapter 20, we're told in verse 11 that there will be a great white throne judge, judgment with Jesus is sitting on this white throne. And those whose names are not written in the book of life, see, if you become a believer, so if Angie becomes a believer, her name is in the ledger. Amen? She's in the land's book of life. So if your name is not in that book of life, you're thrown in hell. That's sobering. You get to join Jesus in his whore. Or Jesus. Oh, I meant the devil. Woo! Didn't mean that. Okay. You get to join the devil and his hordes in hell. Amen? And, and this, this, is, this should prick our hearts. It should drive us to intercession for those who are far from God and we should have this heart, it should just be urgent. It should bug us. It should be a tension in our souls. And I don't want to give you a whole bunch of information today and have you walk out of here more informed. I want you to walk out of here more burdened, amen, for those who don't know Jesus Christ and more concerned for their welfare. Because if your name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're hell-bound. So here's our summary. Heaven and hell are real places, according to the Bible. And one or the other is the destination of all people, depending on if you received or rejected Jesus Christ. So, knowing this, here's my admonishment. Knowing that heaven and hell are real and that judgment is coming should push you, first of all, to receive Jesus Christ, if you've never done that. 
because these are real places and these are real destinations. And it should also push you to live a godly life, understanding there is a day of reckoning coming for what you did and how you did it. Uh, so um, let's go back to Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to begin with verse 10 and read through verse 13. So verse 10 to repeat, but I'll just read it again. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now listen, now this is what should result in you as a follower. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we should wait with this godliness, with this holiness, with this, you know, righteousness. That should cause us to live that way because we know that there's a heaven and a hell that's in the future. Sometimes people have said to me, well, I can believe in heaven, but I just can't believe in hell. Really? They would say that to me like, why would God create a hell? Here's a perspective I think you need to consider today. If there is a heaven, there has to be a hell. They basically have to go hand in hand. I'll explain why in a moment. Because if everyone went to heaven, if everyone just goes to heaven, it becomes earth all over again. It's filled with sin. It's filled with selfishness. It's filled with rebellion and destruction People hostile to God just cannot reside with them. The holy can't be with the unholy. And so there has to be a hell if there's a heaven because there has to be a place for people who, to go who have rejected God because they can't be in God's presence. Amen? You follow this? And I hear a lot of people saying, well, that's not compassionate. What kind of God would do that? I, I want to just say this to you. Receive this rightly. But to me, that is, that's arrogance unleashed when someone says that. They know better than God. That's so prideful. It's so arrogant to say, I have more compassion than God. No, you don't. Because our God's mercies are new every morning. Our God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for this world. Our God loves so much that he was willing to sacrifice so that you and I can have the destination of heaven. The judge is not cruel here. It is ourselves that are responsible for it. We make the decision whether we're heaven bound or hell bound. Amen? And our God is not cruel if you reject Jesus Christ the way he's provided for you to get to heaven. That does not make our God uncompassionate or cruel. That he is full of compassion and he is merciful. The question becomes, will we step into his mercy? Amen? And so when someone says that question to you, you've got to be ready to give an answer to them. Because they think, i got one on God here. No, you don't. That's arrogant to think you know more than God. How can the creation know anything more than the creator anyway? Heaven and hell are real places. And they're the destination of all humanity, depending on if you received or rejected Jesus Christ. Let's finish up our, our big picture here real quickly. Satan and sin will exit the scene here at the end of the age. Satan and, and, and sin will exit. Satan will be defeated. He'll be condemned and he'll be removed. He'll be thrown into the lake of fire where those who reject Jesus Christ end up being also, okay? That's hell. Who's Satan? 
Let me talk to you for just a minute about who Satan is. I want to blast this because people don't seem to have a good understanding of the devil, who he is. Let me tell you who he is, okay? First of all, he was created by God. He was created by God. Therefore, he is a finite being like us. He's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, and he's not all-present. Quit giving him more power than he has. Amen? He doesn't read minds, he knows human tendencies, and he knows our weaknesses. He needs his underlings, his demonic hordes, to be effective because he can't be everywhere at once. Amen? He is not God. Amen? So quit watching these horror shows that show him to be way more powerful than he is. That is not who he is. Yet he's a formidable foe. One that we shouldn't trifle with. He was full of wisdom and beauty when he was created. He was called the morning star, but he became proud. He desired to raise a throne of his own above God's. I got all the scripture written for you here if you're interested in where I'm getting these ideas. He was driven away from God. He was cast down to earth. He's the father of lies. He's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's called the devil, the deceiver, the dragon, as we talked about in Revelation 13. He's called the dragon, the evil one, the enemy, and the accuser. So sin and Satan will exit the scene, and then we get to the beginning of the story, again, we're back to that. God and redeemed people are in paradise. God and redeemed people are now, once again, in paradise. Those who reject Jesus will join Satan in hell, but those who receive Jesus, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, will be in heaven forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to consider. Again, I don't want this just to be some facts. I want this to be attention of the heart. So, I'm going to go back to Mitch here. Mitch went to that Yankee game. He'd never seen a Yankee game in person before. It was so full of color. The greens were green. The browns were brown. You know, it was just, it just took on a whole new kind of meaning for him. I love creation. I study it. I've always been fascinated by, you know, the world and by, you know, our solar system. I don't know about you guys. I just love that kind of stuff. So I'm a little bit... Uh, not so on that stuff. Vicky and I just spent a few days up at our lake place over Thanksgiving doing the isolation thing, super isolated. Vicky, myself, and Lydia just all by ourselves up there in Minnesota, you know, where nobody lives anymore. But anyway, um, frozen tundra. It was just beautiful. Walking through the woods, fields are frozen. Um, you know, you can see it's just gorgeous, right? And I marvel at God's creation. But then I think, God, I wonder... I bet this is black and white to what lies ahead for us in heaven, isn't it? I bet we can't even begin to imagine the beauty and the majesty and the glory of that experience. It's just it's unfathomable to us. We don't have an experience that can lend itself to understanding that. It's going to be like Mitch when he went from watching a Yankees game on a little teeny black and white TV. I had one of those. They are pathetic. The people are about this tall. You couldn't see anything. You had to sit there and try to watch, you know. And to seeing it in person in full color, that's going to be what happens for us as believers. Amen? Those of us who have received Jesus Christ, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, one day we're going to see things in color. We're going to go to heaven, and what a day that will be. I don't even think we can comprehend it. We'll be forever with God in paradise, seeing him face to face. So here's our conclusion today. The big picture... Ends the way it started with righteous people in paradise with God. 
with unhindered face-to-face relationship with their maker. It'll be a great moment. So we get done with the series. Now what, right? We've been through this 12 weeks of grown-up faith. And I, I, I can only think of one little phrase that I hope encapsulates the whole last 12 weeks we've been going through this. Urgently follow Jesus. That's where I hope we get to. That we just urgently follow Jesus Christ. Amen? That it's something that we do on purpose with a sense of urgency, with just this, the prioritization of it, that it displaces other things in our lives, but we urgently follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? This isn't about information. This is about relationship with Jesus that we've been talking about. Grown-up faith understands it's all about relationship with Jesus Christ and about furthering that relationship. And that's what we've been talking about now for 12 weeks. So with that, we're going to pray and then we're going to close with a song today. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for this opportunity to talk on heaven and hell. It's not preached on much. In fact, when I looked at it, I go, oh, I have to talk on heaven and hell. Okay. You know, but it, it's probably something that really needs to be said and done because it sets a tone for us. If these places are indeed real, and I believe they are with all my heart, Lord, and I know your word says they are, it should affect us. It should cause us to pray more diligently for our friends and our relatives and our neighbors that don't know you, Jesus. There should be a heart-rending on our part, on their behalf, this intercessory prayer that takes place that's deep felt. God, I just pray that we would become ones that, that urgently seek you on behalf of other people. I often come to this conclusion, Lord, if I don't pray for somebody, I wonder who will, if anyone ever will. And I just pray, Lord, that we'd have that intercessory kind of heart going on as the body of people here at Grace Point, whether we're online today or here in person, I pray that we'd urgently be praying for others. And then there should be an urgency in our just following after you, Lord. We should live godly lives, Lord, that are full of your righteousness. And we should be um, storing up treasures in heaven, Lord, where moth and rust don't destroy. So that when we stand before you that day, Lord, you can say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And we'll receive a reward, Lord, um, of that kind of nature. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We just praise you today. And we, we give you this day, Lord. I pray for this coming Advent season, that it would be a, a time of rededication to you, Lord Jesus, as your people. That it would be a time of connection with you and, and with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we just praise you. Thank you for the people of Grace Point. Thank you for their love of you and their sincere walk of faith in you, Lord. If anyone here doesn't know you, Jesus, I pray today would be the day to give their heart to you, Jesus, because heaven and hell are at stake here. It's a serious matter, Lord. And we don't know when it'll happen. We don't know when we'll meet you, Jesus. We don't know how many days we each have is what I'm saying. We, we, this could be our last day on this planet. We don't know. And so I pray, Lord, that we be people who urgently make our 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 way with you through Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through you. We just rejoice in that, Lord, and declare it as true today. Praise be your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.